0: Meredith Monday, thanks for uh, tuning in for a brand new pod week, and uh, we got Chris on the line, we're going to kick it off, or keep going at least, with our um, look at Klein on multi-perspectivalism, so stay with us. Hey Chris, what's going on? Not much. How are you? Yeah, good. I am. Uh, yeah. It's Sunday. It's Sunday. It's always a good day when I'm talking to you. It's a good zone. You know, just finished preaching, super mellow. Nothing better to do but think about, plan on multi perspectivalism. <laughs> um, so I'm reading this. Uh, by the way, if anyone in, uh, is listening to this and, um, Wants to uh, read along with us. Firstly, I've got Chris Cahy on the line. I'm getting a few emails saying, "Hey, will you please introduce your speaker or the person?" Because I don't know who you're talking to. And fair enough. Um, touche. I suck at all that stuff. Um, <laughs> so, uh, Chris Cahy's on the line. Um, anyone who's been tracking with us for a while, hopefully, would have heard that a few times. We've uh, we've uh, gone through Chris's book, and Chris is a big Meredith Klein guy, and he's a podcast uh, dude for um what is your podcast name glory cloud <laughs> the glory cloud, podcast. Glory cloud yeah. podcast yeah and uh and also just kind of moonlights at, uh, on uh 2 Age sojourner you know just just yeah in in the background you know and <laughs> um and yeah chris uh has uh we're actually hopefully if we get around to it we might have to put it on another day though but i want to look at chris's uh dissertation which um which would be great you know uh it's sort of uh, obviously all ultimately kind of uh leans uh, in terms of thinking about client's theology but from a historical angle and uh just antinomianism and all sorts of stuff that's definitely in our wheelhouse so it'd be great to do that for like a thursday theology series or something but that's a big dissertation and it's very technical You're (laughs) you're gonna have to work on it you'd have to like summarize a lot for us to make that doable um but that would be cool. And can people get that online and
1: read it? They can, huh? I got that online. Well, I mean, if you found it, yeah. yeah. Um, I I have dreams about editing it and getting it ready for publication. but uh, Yeah, and that would involve what? Like just uh,
0: simplifying it and taking out all the crazy scholarly stuff. Or what would you do with that?
1: Well, um, it looks like my best option for getting it published is going to be with a, scholarship, a scholarly right. publisher anyway. So, so you've got
0: to keep all that stuff in. So what would you actually need to change to, to get it ready for publication?
1: Well, I, for, for example, I went back and reread my chapter on Owen, and I just feel like it was really disjointed. Okay. So I'd like yeah. to make sure that it flows yeah. better. Right, got it. Okay,
0: so basically the same thing. So yeah, all right. Um, so definitely no hope that this will come out at a popular level then. Uh, so you're our only link to the popular world, Chris. You have to, <laughs> okay. you're gonna have to do the work. Just kind of, uh, but hey, we'll leave that for another time. Let's let's try and finish with with Klein to, <laughs> to begin with. Uh, that's enough of a, a, a project here. This little article. Um, <clears throat> so we're, uh, we've read through, I think, uh, the first two paragraphs, and um, I'm on the Meredith uh, Meredith G Klein webpage and uh, looking at the third paragraph, right underneath this massive Game of Thrones advert. So you have to kind of, if you're gonna read it on the web website just who knows what kind of awesome advert you're gonna see there um but uh endure with it because we are working on a plan to get to get meredith klein free of adverts (laughs) it's a small little plan but hopefully it'll it'll materialize um all right so i'm gonna read um this third paragraph chris and then we stop there right because it's got a lot in this one. (laughs) This is crazy. (laughs) Uh, We might need to do a little recap now that I think about it. But anyway, um, okay, so turning to Frame's discussion guide, uh, he starts with the assertion that the Mosaic Law, including its penal sanctions, had the functions, number one, of republishing the creation ordinances and the Noahic and Abrahamic covenant stipulations, and number two, of applying these principles to the new situation introduced by the Exodus with its cultural and redemptive historical differences from what went before. Then, on the basis of this interpretation of the Mosaic Law, he concludes that there is both continuity and discontinuity between the Mosaic Law and what preceded and follows it, that accordingly total continuity or total discontinuity is ruled out, and that the differences between Bonson and Klein are perforce only relative differences as to the degree of continuity or discontinuity recognized by each. So, okay, I think we did actually read that at some level, anyways. Last time, or maybe I was just thinking ahead of the game there. But um, I think uh, hopefully, the, I mean, the, the the frames discussion guide thing um, that was what he obviously they were working through that at some level at the faculty meeting.
1: It sounds like it. Yeah, it sounds like yeah. something that Frame would have handed out to each of the faculty members. Right, totally.
0: And presumably that would. And uh, you know, just for those listening in, I mean, again, this is uh, this is uh, something that Klein wrote. It was it was just this um, response as suppose, to what Frame had presented there. And and this was all in context to um, the uh, theonomy. I don't know, debate that came along. Oh, you, you mentioned that last, uh, last I think in the last episode, you mentioned that much of this uh, forum or whatever would eventually materialize in that um, book on Theonomy, which I have now purchased, by the way, after our last discussion. Oh, did you? Yes. Oh, so good. that's in the mail. I don't know where I got it from. I can't remember, but I got it somehow. And, uh, and so I'm stoked about that. So oh, I'll good. Read that. Yeah. So the, how is that connected to this thing again? It
1: was just basically that they... I'm pretty sure that the the chapters in that book came out of these kinds of faculty meetings. Okay. Um, But I know for a fact that um, Richard Gaffin contributed a chapter, so it would have been both West and East. Right. Westminster's. Yeah. Okay. Excellent.
0: Anyway, so bottom line is they are um, working through that basic sort of um, issue. And um, obviously Frame comes along and does his typical thing along with Poitras, although not, going along with the theonomist um position they uh they put this thing they, they almost presented it in um, as klein himself will say over and uh, over and over again uh, in such a way that um that that really you have a, a kind of a continuum of views and and uh where you got klein on the one side you've got uh, the theonomist on the other side and that's where presumably frame is kind of in the middle ground somewhere um, but everyone's just basically um, applying these normative principles of the law in different ways. Some people lean towards a situational uh, uh, sort of uh, interpretation, I suppose of these norms in a certain um, uh, you know it ends up looking like clients. That, that's the way they're, they're interpreting it. And um, other people like like Manson and the the uh, reconstructionists are basically interpreting it more along the lines of um, I don't know the the norms in um, in in their in their particular situation. Or I'm not sure how that works. We will get there. And then somehow uh, you know w- frame I think is is advocating uh, that we see this not in light of a particular situation, but rather norms that need to be p- applied in uh, or, or that we focus really on. Uh, the the norms themselves and understand that there's going to be just uh, differences in, in the various situational applications and um, and thereby uh, as as Klein says here uh, basically ends up with with seeing some people as holding a, a straight up continuity uh, with Israel um, and they're on the one side of that that spectrum and then you got uh, discontinuity which would be Klein uh, on another side of, of the spectrum um and and yeah i'm just trying to present what i think uh, what is like a reconstructed version of frames view there and uh and Klein's going to basically disagree and say you know all of that is is really on the wrong it starts off on the wrong um footing completely um and does he say that there yeah oh the very next paragraph it is Frame's starting point that must be challenged um Mm -hmm. it's going to be the big issue um all right so that's that's just a nasty kind of first thought on that one. Uh, What do you, uh, any comments there, Chris, or any thoughts?
1: It might be helpful to give a quick uh, summary of Frame's program. Do you mind if I run through that real quick? Yeah, please. So Frame uses this, um, what do you call it? A methodology of knowing called uh, tri-perspectivalism. And when he would put this on the board to explain it, he would put, I guess, like an isosceles triangle mm-hmm. and the top angle would be the normative perspective. Mm-hmm. The lower left-hand angle would be the situational perspective and the mm-hmm. lower right-hand angle would be the existential perspective. Mm-hmm. And he would say basically three things about these three perspectives. The first one is that they're all interrelated. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second one is that they're all Um, equally ultimate. Mm -hmm. So there's no one that is more important than the other. And you're starting to um, feel a little queasy at that point. But then his third thing that he wants to say about these is that they are ultimately identical. Mm. And so no matter which perspective you're talking about, it's really the same as the other ones. Mm. And I think that's where Klein is um, really running into a problem with this. Where he's saying, Bonson and I are not saying the same thing, right? Yeah, and I, I, what I found, I, I know we're jumping ahead with this,
0: but um, uh, with what I'm about to say, but what I found just extremely helpful, um, about what, because Client sort of understood that method, that was really good about it. It was just, you know, he, mm-hmm. he, he gets what Frame is saying, and he uses Frame's categories while he's sort of, obviously maybe this is because, you know, Frame presented this in a certain light, so he's just using these wordings, uh, but, you know, saying, "Hey, let's." I submit that you actually have um, this uh, the situational that that bottom part of the triangle you mentioned there is actually a subset of the norm itself. In other words, every single norm needs to be understood in part of the situational, which is really biblical theology, uh, which which actually helps helps us to understand what that norm is. Um, so, mm-hmm. part of the norm is the situational, so to speak, and that's the whole discipline of of biblical theology. And um, and so we don't just have the liberty of of drawing from the norm principles of equity here and there and just, you know, bringing it through our methodology and, you know, and, and, and disregarding the Bible's own situational um, placement of that norm, so to speak. Um, and uh you know, I realize that's just one, one, what, one little component of the whole big thing, but um, I, I like the way he did that. You know, he basically showed us. You know, if you're not careful, <clears throat> uh, frame actually does away with the 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 the, the, the discipline of biblical theology, um, right? And, and we start just just uh, I don't know, just generalizing everything. You know, and and basically it becomes dependent on our situation rather than uh, the Bible situation. That's a great way to put it. Well, I think maybe the second paragraph is is actually just a good way to bring all that out, Um, or this fourth paragraph, whatever, but second from our starting point today. Um, It is Frame's starting point that must be challenged, that is, his biblical theological conclusion that the several promulgations of divine stipulations are to be identified as each a republication of its predecessors. Uh, I am, of course, concerned to contest the soundness of the biblical theological position in itself, but I also want to call attention to how the starting assumption decisively affects the limits and controls all that follows. Um, mm. Yeah, and that's huge. And we spoke a little bit last week about, um, you know, the use of the word republication over there, which. It's usually a good thing <laughs> you know <it's, laughs> I, I would associate that to a Kleinian system um, <clears throat> with all the debacle around the mosaic republication but um you know I think what what he's saying here is that uh, and he'll develop it in the next paragraph but what he' what he's saying is essentially that you've got frame's way of of, of certainly this uh what, what what chris just mentioned now the perspectival um, methodology is together with his biblical theology um it's it's got this um it's coloring everything he's saying and unless people see that starting point it's not really going to make sense as to why Klein is actually different from what what the theonomists are saying let alone frame um and so that's why it's important but um yeah i mean i think probably the best thing is to move on to that next paragraph you got anything else you want to add there actually you know what i just realized now Um, Just going back, sorry, just going back to that um, previous paragraph, uh, when he says, turning to frames discussion guide, um, he mentions that republishing again, um, including its penal sanctions, uh, the Mosaic Law had function of republishing the creation ordinances. Uh, and the Noahic and, and Abrahamic covenant stipulations. Number two of applying these principles to the new situation introduced by the Exodus. I mean, that's pretty much the republication scheme he's talking about. Um, uh, you know, he's he's basically got this thing that's just going to kind of re promulgate what went before, and um, and as a result of that, it's it's just a matter of determining. You know, at what level the previous one needs to apply, rather than a, see a complete typology and a break in the in the new uh, covenant. Uh, but anyways, that's all I wanted to point out. Have you got anything you wanted to mention there before moving on?
1: Yeah, so I was um, I was actually thinking about this during the the previous paragraph as well. Well, there are uh, several promulgations of divine stipulations are to be identified as each a republication of its predecessors. And that's tied in with what he quotes from Frame in the previous paragraph about the republishing the creation ordinances and Noahic and Abrahamic covenant stipulations in the Mosaic covenant. And um, it's really striking. I'm surprised that uh, that Meredith doesn't drop the name Norman Shepherd, but this is Norman Shepherd's covenant theology. Right.
0: Yeah. T- okay. There we where, go. There we go. Yeah. Excellent. And the, the he, next. Sorry, he does say it a little bit later, though. He does bring um, Shepard in a little bit later. But yeah, at this point, it would be helpful to have known that.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because according to Shepard, each new covenant is simply new in the sense of being the next one in a series. It's really the same as everything that's come before it. Right. So interesting.
0: And, um, and the thing about that, though, is that Norman Shepard's covenant theology, in that sense, is not. An anomaly right it's um i mean he was not really it seems if you just think about uh what frames holding and really how that represents most uh neo-calvinism i mean this is kind of the it's scary i mean like it's it's it, i mean Shepard certainly shows it to be a gospel issue ultimately um but you know it's 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 crazy that this is i don't know was there any area that you think that that even on the issue of covenants Uh, Shepard went
1: too far I mean further than You know most do Well, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure that Shepherd is um, uh, represents the typical Reformed view. I mean, yeah. at least in the Westminster Confession, you have a distinction yeah. between the covenant of works and the covenant of grace. Yeah, um, and Shepherd wouldn't have. All right, so up. we've
0: got that point. That's uh, definitely yes. Uh, Shepherd went uh, further than most on. but just in terms of the the re. Um, you know let's say from the covenant of grace onwards or from you know the fall onwards leaving aside the the you know the the issue of whether it was um, there was grace before the fall and that sort of thing Um, i I could see how by the way that would Mm -hmm. be just an extended version of what frames you know saying anyway but but it's almost like just from the fall onwards do you think he was different or even you know more extreme than any other view that you can come that you
1: can think of i see Uh, so Once we start at the fall, yeah. um, I think he probably is uh, pretty standard, pretty normal. Um, just seeing them all as basically the same covenant, just a, a new day of the week kind of a thing. Yeah, um, that's it's not um, it's not the the only thing that you will find in the Reformed tradition. For example, uh, Herman V in his uh, Economy of the Covenants. Um, is very careful and yeah. very sensitive to to the principle that that is at work in a particular covenant. So, yeah.
0: you know, it, it's kind of why I feel like I keep going to the neo-Calvinist movement to think about the, you know, what, what Shepherd says and what, you know, I mean, everything non um Vitsius, you know everything um in this way inclined uh it, it seems to be sort of encapsulated in that neo-calvinist movement for me which which i i just can't help but think frame is mm. part of and um it's not quite theonomy but it's as close as you can get before getting to theonomy or theocracy or reconstruction yeah exactly totally um but yeah, okay, so with that in mind, uh, just kind of keeping an eye out for what covenant theology um, unfolds here, uh, let, let's let's press on. Uh, he says, um, Frames' republishing approach should not be adopted in the first place because it entail, entails a seriously defective view of the several divine covenants. <clears throat> it misconstrues the relationship of the successive economies In the administration of god's rule over the world by obscuring if not obliterating the real differences especially as to the nature and functions of the institutions defined in the covenants that obtain between the covenant of creation and the covenant of common grace between the latter and the redemptive covenants and between the mosaic and the previous and following redemptive covenants Um, of particular relevance it is oversimplification to the point of falsification, to identify the Mosaic Covenant as a republication of the stipulations of the previous divine covenants recorded in Scripture. Though I am only stating this dogmatically here, I have sought to make the exegetical biblical theological case in support of my position carefully and at length in my publications. And uh, that's true. That's basically Kingdom Prologue right there um in that the whole reason yes you know that that's that's the alternative view um so in that sense you know that that follows on well from um obviously if you are listening into glory cloud um if you've listened through those kingdom prologues sections or if you've read through kingdom prologue or you've read through uh, even more recently i suppose uh, chris's book which is really summarized a lot of a lot of that um you know, hopefully that 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 doesn't need too much of a recap now. But essentially, it's kind of what we're saying in that you've got either you've got that reform tradition of the you know while you have your bright lights going on there with uh, Herman Vitzius and I don't know historically, who else would um, would move in that direction. Chris, have you got any other bright lights for us in the reform tradition?
1: Um I think Owen would be one oh, um, especially by the time he hits his commentary on the book of Hebrews. Um, he's really seen differences between the different covenants.
0: Right, so you got Oren and and um and you got Vitzius and you've got, you know, a few a few others along the way, but in general it seems that you know, I was thinking about mm-hmm. um today it's almost like you've got I mean, it's just the penny dropped I was reading through um um uh, I can't remember. I think oh, maybe one of Van Drunen's things, I can't remember now, but it just kind of dropped when I realized like the whole issue actually it's almost like a different. I mean, just normal standard Reformed theology at some level. Uh, any non kleinian kind of approach, or or um, before that, Owen or Vitzius, uh, you know, they don't think of. Uh, they think of the kingdom as having been given. You know, at, at creation, it wasn't something eschatological. You know, for Adam and Eve in the garden, um, it, it was something bestowed to them, and now simply required. Their dominion over and um, and off they go and sin sin came along and nearly got in the way and um, except that God you know started to put into place redemption which for them is not not um, you know the trusting in the second Adam who who will do what the first Adam failed to do um, thereby bringing us the eschatological kingdom rather it's more just get back to the work of dominion you know take the kingdom back. Don't let the devil win, um, because you already get mm-hmm. the kingdom, and now the work of kingdom uh, redemption is is obviously to take the world back, which is why you so often have the cultural mandate in the mix, and uh, it's not just evangelism. You know, it's it's doing what Adam f- failed to do. You get another chance to do what Adam failed to do because of Christ. Um, so it's it's really quite radically different at that. And then what that means is, as you move as you move forward, is that. Um, you know it's the whole thing leans toward different applications of the way we do this work of 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 you know getting dominion. Um, and so you know he, I think Klein actually says a little bit later on there was some I mean this is quite shocking, but the theonomy thing was like, well, hey, let's apply the covenant of redemption principle in theonomy um, you know only if we have a majority Christian kind of you know um citizenship or, or whatever and if we if we lean in the christian direction in terms of the major proportion of our populace then hey let's let's uh let's go ahead and uh, aim for for reconstruction it's kind of like they're just doing what frame says at that point they're just taking the mosaic you know application of this one big com- uh, covenant with its um, equitable, equitable principles. And they're saying, well, you know, now we have an opportunity situationally to apply the whole thing as Israel applied it. You know, whereas with Adam, uh, actually, sorry, with mm. Abraham, with Abraham, he might not have, um, you know, had that ability. He wasn't in the majority. And so he's simply applying the same equitable principles in a different way, but they're not like substantially different. The one's not a theocracy and the other one a pilgrimage. They're all just one you know, uh, it's all just one differenti- differentiating application of the same big work of redemption, which is kind of what Adam was doing, which we now get to do anyway, which is to have dominion. But you could see how it, how it makes sense that, you would i mean obviously you would want dominion if you got the shot at it right you would want to you'd want to go in a reconstructionist direction um uh, uh, you know as you see all of them lean i mean none of them will admit it quite quite in the same way that Bonson and the reconstructionists do but they, i mean the whole thing leans toward like getting dominion so if you can just get dominion that seems like the ultimate application of of this uh this work this this covenant of grace uh, that they were called to um you know put into place or put yeah. into applications does that make sense
1: yeah yeah i think you're right
0: getting getting, getting totally uh blasted by this game of thrones here um <laughs> winter is coming and it's and it's flashing <laughs> on the website we gotta we gotta do something about this man this is crazy it's distracting i will i will talk
1: to the webmaster you gotta talk to the webmaster okay good um, um i yeah. think w- second point I think we finished the paragraph that um, said that, you know, yeah. uh, Meredith had had made his case in publications.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, good. All uh, right. The second point, he says, I want to make concerning Frames' starting assumption, the republishing notion, is that it sets the bounds and determines the direction and conclusions of his whole analysis. Uh, within this... Oh, is it? No, we didn't just... Did we just read that one? No. Um, Again, sorry. The second point I want to make concerning frame-starting assumption, um, the republishing notion, is that it sets the bounds and determines the direction and conclusions of his whole analysis. Within this republication framework, all the content of all the separate divine law disclosures would seem to get reduced to the general equity uh, component in biblical law the general norms of morality that are constant and permanent Uh, for what frame initially calls ordinances and stipulations are immediately afterwards identified as these principles however these principles are said to undergo particular situational modifications in the process of repeated republication Uh, Apparently then, Frame does not really intend to equate all the particular stipulations with principles pure and simple. Uh, Nevertheless, the fact that he does identify them in an overall way as principles means at least that whatever variations of particular application appear in the course of the alleged uh, republishings, these modified formulations are nothing more than expressions, one and all, of the common sense of constant, a common set of constant principles, which according to the foundational assumption, get republished over uh, and again in each successive promulgation of the divine norms. So that's kind of what I was just saying. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, yeah So I mean, much. hopefully, if anyone got confused by that, uh, what I was saying, clients says it better, there we go. So I was kind of, that's what I was um, uh, hinting <laughs> at anyway. Um, basically, it kind of just, um, you know, the principles of equity are good and well, um, you know, it's, I think it's, there's nothing wrong with seeing, I mean, I think Paul does that, you know, don't keep just, uh, don't, um, you know, pay ministers because we wouldn't keep a ox from, from eating while he treads the grain, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, like that, that's gotta right. be some sort of equitable thing going on there. Um, and that's fine. There's no problem there. But what, what I'm reading Klein is saying is that under Frames republishing notion, Everything essentially is reduced to this equitable principle, and how do we determine how it actually applies? Well, it's really left to our situational, you know, uh, piece as it was to theirs, um, and it's really just a matter of of determining, you know. So, so the issue is is not uh, concretely set for us that we can look at their situation and go, okay, this is something that that is completely different, uh, but rather it's just a matter of uh, of seeing the way that. You know it, it, taking from it the the principle that you know wherever you look look how they applied it differently and so should we you know uh, that's what i'm reading uh from him are you getting to, are you getting is that is that more or less what you're hearing here as well chris definitely Okay. Oh. excellent
1: and um i actually can't remember if he goes there later in this uh, article but i'm kind of surprised that he's not saying wait a second you know each of these covenants has uh, unique stipulations and we need to be careful to observe the yeah. uniqueness of them. Yeah. Um, because yeah, he's right. Frame is just shaving off anything unique so that you end up with a uh, general equity all the way through. Yeah. Um,
0: totally. And, and I think, you know, and this is kind of what I was saying about earlier. I think he does say that somewhere. I must've gotten an idea somewhere from this, um, this article but um that's why i liked what he said earlier in that you know fr- even using frames triangle um just just the mistake on his own part methodologically is is to fail to see that situational piece in the norm itself um you know which keeps it from just being reduced to an equitable principle at every level um you know if, if you see this as pieced together with the mosaic you know, theocracy um, as something totally different from the covenant of grace with Abraham and everything afterwards, then that situational, you know, uh, defining thing is going to define the norm for you and it's just not even going to be an issue. It's it's certainly not going to be reduced just to equitable principle. Um, <clears throat> but then the other thing I was thinking, and um, I know this might get into a whole nother deal, but, uh, you know... I think later on he talks about um uh frame as kind of reducing uh god's law to some abstract right and and through these equitable principles keeping keeping this at a a very abstract level and we the only way as i said earlier that we know how to apply it is simply to consider our own situational perspective and um and just go from there so that's what banson and them have done you know more power to them they've just been a little bit too extreme uh, on their uh, continuity with Moses, um, but and that's what Klein is not doing, you know. <laughs> that's basically his whole thing. But uh, but one thing that did that did occur to me is this: it's not so much a problem because I mean even Klein does do this, right? If I'm not mistaken, he, um, you know, the moral law in its abstract is is, is sort of revealed in these covenantal enshrinements throughout redemptive history. So it's not so much the problem that you're moving the law to an abstract that's going to be applied in different ways. It's more an issue of, of, of again, understanding that the different covenantal enshrinements uh, form these definitive uh, applications of that law, rather than just form varied versions of the way we would apl- uh, apply it
1: today. Yes, and I think that uh, what accounts for this uh, is that Frame um, did at least his master's, I'm not sure about his PhD, but when he was teaching at uh, Westminster while I was there, his highest degree at that point was in philosophy, basically. Right. Um, and I think that explains a lot about his approach because he's approaching ethics basically the way Aristotle would have. Um, yeah. You know, very abstract, timeless truths and Klein is saying that's not what the Bible is giving us. It's giving us concrete laws in particular covenants at particular times. Um, and we need to understand why that is in order to understand our relationship to them.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's good. It's almost like the situational for frame. Um, you know, I it's almost like I would consider that that, that would be like a... Um, more an existential thing you know like it's almost like you need to put the situational and the um, norm together there as Klein suggests um, to give you a biblical theology and then the existential is really your application part I know it's not technically existential at that level but it's you know it's the most subjective of all in that we're prone to error and we can kind of get it wrong and we're thinking about our personal situation and we're trying to put it in place but at least then what you're doing is you're taking The law revealed in a certain way and interpreting it that way together with the way it's revealed in another in another specific way and and then you're just basically talking about hermeneutics and application at that point um so no need for the triangle anyway (laughs) you know but um uh you know it's it's kind of i I feel like probably that's what's going to get further and further addressed as we move in um but you know what he does say what Frame does uh, at least what Klein does say a little bit later is that it's almost Frame's methodology is more serious than theotomy yeah I mean that's that's
1: hardcore <laughs> yeah mean, and I think the fact that he even took the time to write this yeah. tells you that it it bothered him he saw a real problem here
0: yeah I mean Klein hated theotomy <laughs> You know he, he hated <laughs> theonomy. it's like, and um, yes you did, and to to say ideally uh, I couldn't believe it when I was like this 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 uh this uh thing that frames done for us over here is even more serious than the thing I've devoted myself to to fending off, you know, so yeah,
1: <laughs> well, I you know I guess it might be like a black hole that just um yeah. sucks everything into it, yeah. Uh, Klein is kind of seeing mm-hmm. Frame saying everything is really the same at the end of the day, and he's saying if you're saying that everything is the same as theonomy, yeah, we are in big trouble. Big trouble.
0: But if it's you know, it feels like because he's turned this thing into such a beast, you know, Frame has, uh, and it be- it becomes its own sort of like, yeah, maybe it is the equal. I don't know. Just it, that it becomes its own. I'm trying to figure out exactly where the problem lies with um with the actual method itself. So I think for me Klein's been super helpful in just delineating okay if you if you rip the situation from the norm and 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 you know generalize everything obviously you, you've just missed out on biblical theology and you've adopted a philosopher's approach as you said. Um, right. so you know don't do that. But then beyond that maybe frame maybe um uh, Poitras has a little bit more of a I don't know concrete approach on those things I don't know. And that's relevant to this article just because you know, Poethos does get dragged into it a little bit as well. Um, in fact, probably more so with the multi-perspectival thing. Mm. Um, all right, yeah. I mean, look, I think I think that's uh, good for for this particular show.
1: So, what have we said? You
0: want to try and you want to try and summarize that, Chris? Feeling confident. Well, we
1: <laughs> we've looked at his objection to frame, mm-hmm. just saying that basically um, every uh covenant stipulation every law basically is the same whether it appears um in the creational covenant the noahic covenant the abrahamic covenant mosaic covenant um all the same and uh all continuity no discontinuity and um so uh klein is objecting to that and saying that that is not a a helpful approach to understanding the bible Mm. um yeah and uh, let's see the second point um yeah is that just, he, he go ahead i
0: was just thinking that uh, i don't know his audit, i've just noticed that every first sentence of the next paragraph always does a really good job in sort of summarizing the previous paragraph so it's like yeah you know his next, <laughs> his next thing there is this republication framework thus becomes a hermeneutical grid that filters out all the biblical evidence of God's appointing real differences of nature and function to the various institutions in his several institutionally
1: specific sets of covenant stipulations. (laughs) That's a good observation. So if you want to understand what the previous paragraph was about, just start (laughs) with the first sentence of the next paragraph.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, I don't know. I think that's obviously like, um, you know, because don't you, uh, some like academic writing is super triadic, you know, you have to like, you know, you have to intro and, and uh body and conclusion in every paragraph and that sort of thing you know and uh right no pun on the triad thing i didn't mean anything by yeah. that at all <laughs> <laughs> you yeah, but uh yeah it, it seems like uh, it'd be interesting to see if Klein does that all the way through that'd be good then we've unlocked a mystical secret for for, for you Klein students <laughs> you don't have to read the whole kingdom prologue you just have to read the first paragraph uh, first <laughs> sentence of every paragraph <laughs> excellent Oh wait a minute! I wonder if that extends to the exegetical to key. The exegetical key, yeah. I wonder if that extends to like his whole first opening paragraph of the previous chapter. Oh <laughs> man, okay, we we might be getting somewhere. Um, all right, good. Well, hey, uh, hopefully that hasn't confused you too much. Uh, like I said, we're just kind of reading through it and uh, making a few comments that come to mind. So nothing overly overly um, planned or anything here, but, um, you know, I just, just want to read some client and uh, this is freely available. Go read it. Um, kind of obscure, but but actually super helpful. Man, I've just found it like, I think, I, you know, just to unlock a lot of what Frame was doing there. I mean, I just really struggled to get a hold of what Frame was even presenting by way of covenants until I read mm. this and then it really helped me. So mm. certainly for anyone interested in that, but then the reason that becomes helpful as we were saying earlier, is because Frame is not actually alone in his unique, uh, you know, covenant theology. He's trying to simply, you know, advocate what he sees as a, you know, fairly normal covenant theology, which, you know, to some extent, he would be correct in in saying. Um, maybe with the extreme versions in Shepherd, as they as they just, but you know, even what, maybe just to to close it out with this, I mean, this is, you know, as Van Drunen points out in um, in his uh, what was it the living in god's two kingdoms you know this is very much a justification thing you know it's the two kingdom thing is there but you know because of that undergirding covenant theology that you would need to either be one kingdom or two kingdom it it just inevitably becomes a, a gospel issue because either you're trying to you're trying to do what Adam failed to do and redeeming the kingdom, you know, redeeming uh, God's creation and trying to have dominion. And this is the gospel. Or the gospel is that Adam did what, uh, at least Christ did what Adam failed to do. And uh, as a result of of his work, w- w- how did uh, Van Joonan put this? Man, it was so good. He says, it's not that we want um, to regain creation. Um, it's that we have gained recreation. <laughs> mm. Boom. Right. Now, I think that's helpful here in just closing this off as well, because, um, you know, that, that whole regaining creation thing, as far as I can tell, is what frame is after in terms of just putting forward a, a kind of covenant theology that will, that will just um, support that understanding, which is fairly normal again in, in the, certainly in the neo-Calvinist tradition, but, I think, too normal in the normal Reformed tradition as well. And, um, and then, you know, that, that's going to lean theonomically. I mean, it has to. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, like clients clients coming along and saying very much that we're not trying to gain creation, but uh, uh, or at least that, that we're not trying to regain creation, but that we have, um, through all these various covenants, been assured that we have this this thing promised to Adam and Eve originally, that they failed to receive, uh, that they lost, that was then promised, uh, we've now received that. Uh, we, we've gained that recreation. But that recreation hasn't happened yet. And um, and that's why it makes sense that you, that you know, it, I think, again, Klein a little bit later on says, listen, this is an effective dismissal of the Great Commission, you know, if you move in this mm-hmm. direction. Um, and that's why he says it, because either you're going to be interested in in uh, this this recreation that you've gained and therefore, you know, spread the news about. And as people enter into the kingdom, they enter into that recreation. Um, or you're going to be worried about this one kingdom business where you're basically just out to kind of get what has been lost and, and uh, do what Jesus actually has done already. So it's, uh, it's pretty big. It the, These, these, uh, these, um, uh, the web does does tangle it does thicken right um yes and um and so it's helpful just to see that you know you know what we're looking at right right now is super technical covenantal stuff but but at the same time it's just like absolutely essential gospel stuff
1: i'm i'm really glad that you brought it back to the gospel because klein is not just whining and complaining that someone disagrees with him yeah um he took the time to do this because he recognized that the gospel was at stake and You know, he didn't bother um, complaining about things that didn't touch the gospel.
0: I don't know how he operated in that Dutch tradition. You know, that like I mean, you got Van Til, you got all these things going on. It's very, I mean, Kuiper is 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 a big figure there, and this is basically the you know you've got Vas and and Van Til and. All these dutch dudes you know that basically um are operating in that rubric and and they are the exception or you know the clans the theology would be the exception not the norm uh how did he stay sane on this you know uh,
1: um you know he was just willing to follow the biblical evidence where it took him and um he would roll up his sleeves and fight like crazy when the gospel was at stake. Mm. And you know, when the fight was over, he'd roll his sleeves back down and, and go on about his life. He didn't really seem to um get too upset that um he kept having to fight. He didn't get upset that um not everybody always agreed with him. Mm. Um so really interesting that way.
0: Do you know do you know what Voss uh no sorry not Voss van Til himself thought about Klein's doctrine?
1: I don't. Um, I mean, you. You reminded me that there had been that um, letter of correspondence right, that right. is floating around out there. So, I mean, obviously, uh, Van Til knew him as a student. Yes. Um, uh, I mean, obviously, Van Til would have been still teaching there when Klein was teaching there. But mm. um, I don't. I don't know what Van Til's analysis of Klein's system was.
0: There's a lot of effort, a lot of um, not effort emphasis, or or um, I don't know, just thought given to uh, you know where the frame has represented Vantill correctly, and then there was that whole thing I don't know if you know about it where you know he wrote that book about Vantill. and then and then I know that Klein pushed back and didn't think that he that frame represented him properly. And it's all about that Vantillian sort of aspect, and then but I think Vantill himself was kind of happy with Frame's assessment until a certain point. But I'd love to see the equivalent on what he thought about Klein, because it feels like mm-hmm. a lot of what, what Klein would be saying here would be going against some of Van Til's de facto covenant theology.
1: I think you're right. Yeah, I, I do.
0: Maybe the pennies hadn't dropped yet. Maybe no one read Kingdom Prologue. <laughs> and you know what? They could be forgiven. It's a big book. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe that's their first mistake. They should have read it. They should have read it. <laughs> Man, maybe that's how he stayed in the OPC so long. No one actually read Kingdom Prologue. Just played, <laughs> they read the first page and they're like, dude, this is crazy. Forget that. <laughs> but anyway, uh, well, to be continued. Thanks a million, Chris. Appreciate
1: it. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on.